0: My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, last week, I, um, I was struggling for content, and I put out a note to the mastermind group that I, I run, and uh, four people uh, very, very kindly suggested some things that I could cover off, and that was uh, Anthony, Dominic, Matthew, and David. And we cut off uh, topics like running the numbers, investing overseas, uh, how, you know, how to choose and what strategies to follow. Uh, and skin in the game in terms of partnership, they were the themes that we covered off last week. Um, there were there were a number of other suggestions actually that the guys, those same guys, made, and indeed uh, extra suggestions from Carl and Terry. So I just wanted to make sure everybody got properly name checked. Uh, forgive me if I missed anybody off the list there, but I just want to make sure. Thank you, I appreciate you guys for making suggestions, bailed me out of it a little bit last week, um, so that was cool. So what I thought I'd do this week is. Um, I just wanted to share with you a couple of things that I I kind of get involved in from time to time. There's a I post my phone number on the website, which is a risk, I guess, in some respects that I took uh, a little while ago. Uh, The phone number, you can reach me in person very often, usually usually weekday afternoons, uh, and that's on the website, so thepropertyvoice.net, hunt around, you'll find it. If you want to speak to me in person, uh, that's the way to do it. So there's no hiding place in that respect. But um, last week, apart from it being my birthday, Wednesday was my birthday. Yes, happy birthday to me. Um, On Wednesday itself, I decided just to do whatever I fancied, whatever I felt like. (laughs) So I didn't really take the day off as such. I just decided to do whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it. Uh, I had a leisurely breakfast. I went to the gym. I read a lot. I went down rabbit holes. Not literally, but uh, in terms of uh, learning and development, which is a passion of mine, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I spent my day. But I also spent um, a couple of hours on a call with the uh, some of my uh, uh, mastermind community. Uh, it was a pre-book call, and I was happy to do that too. So um, yeah, I just did whatever I wanted. So anyway, that was my birthday, and uh, thanks for all the love on social media on the day. That was really welcome. But on the next day, on the, so that was the 5th of February, on the, on the 6th of February, the next day, which is obviously the Thursday, um, I actually had three calls in that day with uh, people I'm not working with that are in my community or within my sphere or my reach in some way, and we just had these random calls. Uh, it was one in the morning, one at lunchtime, one in the evening as it kind of worked out. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really really interesting to, to have that kind of conversation or those kind of conversations, and I deliberately allow time in my diary to to have those con- kind of conversations. So that's another reason for mentioning the put, putting the phone number on the website. Uh, so I spoke to Naomi, I spoke to Paul, and I spoke to Darren um, during the course of that day. So if you're listening, yeah, I'm name checking you, um, uh, and hopefully you, you. This relates to the conversation that we had. So. They weren't in that sequence, but i just sort of share it in this sequence. So first of all, just let me tell you about the conversation I had with Naomi. So Naomi is, um, is about 30, and I don't want to reveal too much information, but her and her partner, you know, we were talking, we have been talking for almost two years, I think it's about 18 months now. And um, she got back in touch recently, and we set up a telephone call because um, previously she was saving for deposit. They actually went and bought their own home, this is really interesting because what they did is when they went and bought their own home, now very often I say if you can buy your own home, you get first, buyers, uh, first buyer status is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so that means you don't pay the 3% stamp duty, you often have a uh, less deposit that you need to put into a property deal compared to being a buy-to-let investor. You don't pay um, uh, capital gains tax on any profits that you make on the house if you sell it, for example. You can do work yourself while you're living there. So. You know it's quite a good use of time so it's kind of a house hack type of concept and if you add into that with mean, the robert kiyosaki uh, thinking which is exactly what naomi and i were talking about robert kiyosaki says our own home is a liability it's not an asset because it doesn't put money in our pocket each month and so naomi and her partner they decided to take in lodges so they had a four bedroom property and they took in two lodges uh, and of course, the rent-a-room scheme provides a significant amount of so rent about seven and a half thousand a year tax-free. So you can take the income from lodges, um, if with it's up to seven and a half thousand, is tax-free as well. So there's a lot of good reasons why maybe if you want to start out, you you should consider looking at buying your own home. Now I do know that in certain parts of the country, that's not an easy thing to do in terms of affordability levels. So first-time buyers are struggling to get on the housing ladder. Uh, love to buy their own home, but the level of deposit, particularly in the south, relative to, to income, you know, it, it's hard to do. So you, you can, you know, there, there's a flip side of that. Perhaps you can buy your first property as, a, as an investment property, uh, perhaps in a more affordable location. So, you not don't get hamstrung on the idea, but try and get on the housing ladder sooner rather than later. So that's what Naomi and her partner did. And, and then since that time, they've been saving like crazy. So they both work full time. Uh, they've obviously got this income from the from the lodges that, that's coming through as well so they're, they're piling all of that into their savings and uh, the reason they approached me again is that they, they're getting close to having enough money to perhaps go again and invest in another property so we started having this conversation you know i was really saying well what what do you want to achieve and this is perhaps ringing true from our conversation i had uh, last week when we we're talking about uh, the numbers we're we'll also talking about um, the strategies that people can follow so Begin with the end in mind. What are you trying to achieve? So, in Naomi's case, um, in 10 years, they wanted to have supplementary income so that you know one or both of them wouldn't have to work. And, in fact, to start a family, that was the criteria they were looking to do. So, and I, I'm talking to them about how much money they, they're able to save. And it was roughly 25, 30,000 a year because they're literally shoving a lot of money into savings right now. So, um, actually, the most simple strategy that they could follow was to buy one buy-to-let property every year for 10 years. And, then, of course, at the end of that, they'd have at least 10 properties. Um, I explained to them with the snowball effect. So, obviously, if they were able to save the extra rental net rental income from the investments over time, that would also accumulate. And towards the end of that 10-year period, they may be able to buy a couple of properties in a year, perhaps every other year, maybe, something like that. There's other twists on that. They could perhaps refinance if they're able to add value if the, or if the price had gone up as well. But essentially, they could probably get to the goal that uh, she outlined to me relatively simply. But then we started to talk about, well, is that enough? And, and you know, perhaps you know, maybe both could retire um, or, or, or take, a, take it easy or go part-time and, or take a sabbatical. Uh, and this was really appealing to them. So then we started talking about you know better use of capital. So buy-to-let, usually the principle of buy-to-let is you buy a ready-made property and you rent it out. You don't add value, it's not a project, it's not development, and you just take the rental income. And if you're lucky, you get a bit of capital growth as well. And that's okay, but it's not stellar. It's not going to set the world on fire, and it's not going to you know give you a sort of a dual income replacement in 10 years, typically speaking. So then we time talking talk about alternative strategies. And in particular, perhaps for early stage investors, that would be what I call BRR, buy, refurbish, refinance, or it would be flips. And in fact, actually, I normally recommend pairing those two together. So if you go hunting for a property you can add value to, typically a refurbishment, perhaps a loft conversion, perhaps an extension. Nothing too earth shattering. Just something that's you know easily achievable within six to nine months time period. Um, If you flip it on, you can grow your capital pot, which uh, will then actually fund future deposits on either buy-to-let properties or the BRR properties. What you get with BRR properties is you usually do the project, you increase the value, then you refinance and pull out some of your capital back. Uh, Typically with a, a BRR strategy, you don't pull all of your capital back. That's why I suggest having a flip strategy running alongside a BRR strategy. Something along the lines of flip one BRR one, flip one BRR one. And uh, every time you put money into the BRR property, perhaps it's half as much typically as it would be in a buy-to-let property. If the next project is a flip, well, then you've recovered the money that you've left in the previous BRR property, for example. So, Nina um, yeah, was very interested in that, and uh, she signed up to our property deal tip service to look out for those types of uh, projects. And perhaps if there's something that comes along, I, I, might, I might show her on a, on a, on a project if that, uh, that is the case. So, that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, what I really liked about Naomi is this: um, I suggested a few things to her, and she just went off and did it. So, for example, uh, she was a little bit nervous about the idea of uh, financing for projects, and uh, she has a very good mortgage broker who's well known in the industry. And she just went off and checked it with her, um, and I thought it was really, you know, take, you know, very proactive. Uh, I talked about a bridge to let pro- uh, product that is available. So you don't necessarily need full bridging and then a refinancing onto a mortgage later, which often is the case with BRR, for example. There is a specific pro- uh, product now called Bridge to Let. It's kind of almost one, two projects in one. So it simplifies the process. So she went off, she checked, she wasn't sure that she'd qualify, but came back to me the very next day and said, I've spoken to my broker and indeed I do qualify. So I'm going to start looking out for those sort of projects. So that was really nice. And I, I got a real buzz out of talking to Naomi and really, Um, I think giving her a bit more confidence and uh, a bit more of a direction about what she could achieve uh, in line with her own goals. And and as I say, that gives me a bit of a buzz too. So that was the first conversation. The second conversation was with a gentleman called Paul. Now, I went up to to the only external property meeting I've ever spoken at was the property thing up in Darlington. So it's another name check for uh, Anthony and Paul who run the property thing meetups in Darlington. If uh, ever you're in that neck of the woods, uh, or even you, know, you just want to make a special trip, I'd recommend you go. It's a really good meeting. The good guys. Uh, there's quite a good energy, I think, in that particular area. It's an independent group, so there's no, none of this sort of course-selling type of thing that's thrust upon you, so I really liked it. Uh, and I'll probably go back up again, actually, during the course of this year. Um, they have invited me and I have accepted. So, uh, or maybe I invited myself and they accepted, I can't remember. But anyway, so long story short, uh, one of the people who heard me speak when I last went was a, a gentleman called Paul. And he reached out to me and he was very generous in, in the way he approached me, which by the way is a good tip if you're networking. So uh, he talked about some of the things that, you know, he heard in my, in my pitch, or it wasn't actually a pitch, it was a It was a presentation. And he said it inspired him to, to get in touch. And uh, it was a few months ago now, so it was good. We, we got in touch. And Paul felt that he was a little bit, he'd grown a little bit stale, if you like. He, he'd amassed quite a significant portfolio. He'd done really well, and he's done some quite complex stuff, in, including some overseas development. But he felt he'd sort of reached the point where he'd become a bit stale. Now, what had happened? is it, He managed to uh, build a portfolio which enabled him to effectively quit his job or quit his work and um, and he could live off the, the income. But he was playing golf and he was, you know, spending time with the family and, and all of that great stuff and doing a lot of personal development and really enjoying it. But I think at some point in time, he felt that there was more. There was more left to, let it, let, uh, to do and more in the tank. And he was, he was keen to really sort of push on. But he was also concerned about perhaps the isolation that can happen with solo property entrepreneurs or solo propreneurs. as uh, a new word I've kind of made up. And so we had a conversation about that because it's very common, actually. So there's a cycle that often we go through. We often start out moonlighting or a side hustle. Sometimes we'll go full-time in property alone. Um, maybe we develop an income stream sufficient to, to uh, you know, meet our needs, but then you know, we, hit, we hit that wall. And we hit the wall of isolation, particularly if we, you know, used to working in a team-based environment, or we get a kick out of being with other people. Um, you know, it's, there's only only so many times you can just go and sit on your own in Starbucks or go down the gym or play golf. You know, you perhaps need a little bit of human company. Um, and yeah, you can go knocking on uh, estate agents' doors, but yeah, it's not quite the same thing. So we talked about that. So you know. Paul was a bit hung up, though, on his previous experience and, and, and where he wanted to go. So we kind of sort of boiled it down to, well, we didn't boil it down. Actually, we rose up to 35,000 feet. And we, we talked about, okay, what are your core skills? What have you actually done? And he said, listing a number of things. Oh, I've done HMO conversions. I've done a development. I've done this. I've done that. And I said, actually, there's a consistency. The consistent theme is you've added value. Everywhere you've gone, you've, you've done HMO conversion, you've added value. Done a refer. you've added value. You've done a development project, you've added value. And that essentially is what development is, is adding value. And the thing with development is it's not necessarily the same thing over and over and over again. It's not necessarily a cookie cutter because the market changes and the needs in the market change. And I think you know, Paul recognised that and he, he sort of saw that common thread and, um, you know, what, what he might do the very next day might not be the same as he does in one year or two years' time. But the consistency would be perhaps to focus on development and adding value. So we talked about some angles, perhaps, and he's going to do some research around that. But the second thing that perhaps he, he had a bit of a, uh, a blockage on was structure. Um, he talks about, well, do I, what, what do I need? What, what kind of company do I need? And what should I call it? And, you know, really, these things are not that important, actually. Um, Yes, you need some sort of business model. Uh, And usually, let's just tackle the company idea. If you are trading properties, that means buying and selling, you'll have what's called a trading company. that's, That's it in a nutshell. So you set up what's called a trading company. You buy, you sell, you buy, you sell. And development can kind of fall into that category as well if you're flipping it on. Uh, if you're planning to buy and hold property or to develop it and hold the property, you'd have what's called an investment company. So you can you can um, have two companies. You could buy you could well have one for trading and one for investing. But that's kind of it, really. Um, you could argue you could have a third, which is a property management company, but that can get a bit complicated to to have a third company. So you may have that sitting within the property investment company, for example, and just have the two. But by all means, think you could have a third company, but that would be it. Uh, in a sense. So that's a legal structure. Uh, we're not giving any tax advice or legal advice in, or financial advice here, just sort of talking about some options. So that's the structure side of it. And then in terms of branding, I think people get so hung up on this. I think, um, you know, we, in, in the case of Paul, we, we boiled it down to, I said, well, what would be your capacity? How many projects realistically per year could you do? And the answer was two. Uh, okay, so it's two projects per year. And what do you need to achieve? those projects what you need you need to find the sites and then you need to fund the sites fundamentally there's other things but fundamentally it's find sites fund the sites okay so and he had some some money so he could probably fund one of on his own already anyway so if, when we boiled it down it was really he needed to find uh, he already had one site and he had the money for that one site so he, in the next year he needed to find one more site and perhaps the funding for that one more site too so i said well from a branding and a marketing point of view you just need to find one site and maybe one or two private investors, if that's the way you want to look. Because development finance is quite tricky as a, as a fairly new developer without a proven track record, which is relevant. So we, we talked about all of that. Um, so that's your audience. There, there's your avatar. Your avatar is to attract one or two types of investors who could perhaps come in with you on that type of deal. And there may be an agent or a professional you know, working in the sector who could bring you a, an opportunity uh, that may be criterion. So when we talk about it that way, the, the, the branding, the communication, the way that you go to market or, you know, publicize yourself um, is then dictated by that. Uh, and Paul wasn't, you know, not he's not like a boastful type of person. He's more, you know, shy, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, I said, well, you don't have to be bragging or anything like that or salesy. Just, you know, you had a lot of... Uh, experience that he could he could bring to bear as well. So we talked about how he could perhaps position himself to share you know, information, which would also serve to attract people that he might need want to find the sites to to fund the sites. So very logical. You know, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I wish Paul all the best. Not sure what's going to happen there, but I'm pretty sure he's got a lot more clarity um, as a result. And I'm sharing, these, I'm sharing these insights because some of them you may relate to. You, you may be a Naomi, not necessarily the same sex, but you may be at that sort of level. You know, maybe you've just bought your own home, maybe you're thinking about the future. You may be a poor, more advanced. You know, um, Paul was, a, I don't know his exact age, actually, but perhaps in his 40s, he's had a career, he's had a successful property business already, and he, he's looking to maybe turn around a little bit, transition a bit, not in trouble, just wants more out of life and has more to give um but you know that sort of age group and then um the the third conversation i perhaps wanted to share with you is a gentleman called darren who probably is going to become an apprentice maybe not now and i'll tell you why in a minute um on the uh the property voice apprentice program and, and darren is uh, is also around about 30 and uh, we talked about his uh lifestyle and um he, he kind of wanted to talk to me he said listen that. i in fact, I've had a couple of conversations with Darren, and I, I, I hope this is okay to share with you, but uh, I kind of said we're not normal. Now, let me explain that. If you have um, a burning desire to make, make you know, a life for yourself, do something different, what I call being the 1% group, you're not normal. I.e. 90, 99% of the people would look at what you do, say, and want to achieve in life and go, that, you're crazy. And they, they'd see you as not being normal. But actually, when you're in that one percent group, or you want to be in that one percent group, it's totally normal. It's totally normal to want to start a business. It's totally normal to want to prepare for your future. It's totally normal to want to invest in yourself. So these things are, you know, consistent with being in the one percent. So that's what I mean when I say we're not normal. We're normal in the one percent, but we're not normal by the majority. So we were having a bit of a laugh, Darren and I, about this. Um, and then in this, in this follow up conversation, he said, Well, you never guess what, but I've been thinking about, um, uh, I, I was going to mention FIRE, FIRE which I've mentioned to a couple of people recently. FIRE is uh, Financial Independence and Retire Early. It's a movement, if you like, you can look it up the FIRE Movement, Financial Independence and Retire Early Movement. And it's basically all about people, often in their 20s and 30s, who are aggressively saving and investing so that they'll have a nest egg which they could live on for the rest of their life from probably about 10 years' time. So uh, there's a really big deal about it right now. Again, it's not normal, <laughs> but it's more commonplace than you might imagine. So we're having this conversation, and Darren said he was looking at his own you know, cost of living, and he was really starting to think, how can they save money? How can they save money so they can invest? But equally, how can they live the lifestyle uh, in the way that they wanted to live, at the same time, and he just came up with this idea, and he hadn't got a solution. He just said, "I'm going to, I'm going to sell the house or, or refinance the house, in their home, and I'm going to we're going to build a van, uh, or sorry, not build a van. They're going to convert a van into a motorhome, and essentially they will live in the motorhome, and then they're going to you know work on projects to um, with NGOs in 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 Europe." To, to help uh, with, you know, providing affordable housing or, or housing for the homeless. And it's basically voluntary work. So, you know, they uh, they get to live free, but they give the time for these projects and they live in, in their motorhome converted uh, van, which I think is brilliant, by the way. And I knew a bit about it because my own eldest daughter is, uh, you know, she's talking about van life, we call it van life. And she's looking at uh, wanting to do something similar. So uh, we, we, could, we could have a bit of a chat about it, uh, Darren and I. I think... Me and my wife sponsored uh, Natalia, our daughter's uh, air conditioning unit for her van, which we, we even talked about that. Anyway, I digress. And he was saying, well, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Am I crazy sort of thing? And we talked about it. I said, is this what you really want to do in life? And he said, well, yeah. And he said, I was just wondering, is there a way to combine it? And And the, the answer was, yes, there is. And so we started talking about how that could be possible. So how could it be possible? He could potentially, for example... Uh, go and work on a project within an NGO for a few months and then come back to the UK, probably still in a motorhome, and work on a property deal for a few months. Um, some of the work can be done remotely. Not all of it has to be done um, you know, while you're physically present. That was one model. So one model is to split your time, essentially, uh, on the project, on your, property, on your property business, on the project, on your property business. So that was one model. The second model could be essentially what I call the outsourced model. So um, they go off and they do the NGO work they're doing, but um, they, they're going to have a you know probably a dirty great big satellite dish on top of the, uh, the van that they're converting with a good Wi-Fi connection. And they could do pretty much what they need to do remotely. Yeah, sure, now and again, they'll need to come over, uh, meet people who are working on their business for them. Um, and there'll be a cost associated because they have to pay people to do stuff, which perhaps they would do otherwise. But they could, you know, they could, that's perfectly feasible. Just, you know, Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week, and all that. Um, you know, it's perfectly conceivable. I do a lot about myself already, so we talked about it. A couple of different models. We haven't really got into the conversation in great detail, but that would be a, what I call a, a designer, you know, lifestyle that would work for Darren and his, his partner. Um, they would have the, an asset in the UK, which they could leverage to invest in property in the UK. They could reduce their cost base by living in the motorhome. They could go and do the work that they really are passionate about, the sustainable, you know, environmental, NGO type of voluntary work. And at the same time, they could you know, build a, a living for themselves with property, either on the one project on, property project on type of basis, or you know, doing it on an outsourced basis. So, what am I really saying about this? I'm saying there's different ways of slicing and dicing your plans, your goals, your vision, uh, according to your uh, your your circumstances. And yeah, um, here's here's the news: Naomi, Paul, and Darren, we're not normal. We're not normal. Uh, but this is great. I feel fantastic to say I'm not normal um, because you know sometimes I get frowned at for what I do. Look look at how I spent my birthday. Look at how I spent the sixth of February. I was able to do what I wanted to do completely on the 5th of February my birthday. I was able to take these calls with these three people with no real agenda um, at the end of the day. Uh, I was just happy to do that. And um, that's what property investing and property developing has been able to afford me. So I, I feel very blessed about that. So that's that. And um, perhaps I'll maybe finish with one other thing, which actually relates to me and my business. And I'll be very honest with you. I, I had a bit of a, I've had a bit of a problem with, with one of my projects, and um, essentially, I wanted to build out a development in two stages. I have pre-existing planning approval to build uh, four, um, three-bedroom um, houses, and um, <clears throat> but it, it's not it's not terribly viable um, uh, as three beds, but it would be as four beds. So under the planning approval that was granted, permitted development rights were not removed. Sometimes if you get planning approval, the planners remove permitted development rights, which basically means if you want to do further development um, of a, you know, that would normally be permissible under permitted development, such as an extension or a loft conversion, for example, then you'd need to go back and get full planning permission because they remove the rights that you would otherwise have, um, which, which you wouldn't need planning permission for otherwise. So I was going to basically build the project, uh, build the properties out as the three beds, get them signed off, and then convert the loft. We'd do some pre- preparation work there, but we'd convert the loft to create a fourth master suite, um, and that would be a much more viable and attractive project. We just have to do it in two stages, that's all. Now, I'd, I'd like a, uh, an investor, uh, sorry, a funder, not an investor, to support me with development finance for this. but. Long story short, they weren't so keen on the two-step process, and they thought, well, why don't you just go and get a minor amendment to your planning approval to allow the loft conversion, and then we could just build it out in one stage, and you know, it's just going to be a lot better for us, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to do that, but I can get a minor amendment through in about 28 days as opposed to a full planning application in about three months. So I thought, okay, for the sake of 28 days, we'll, we'll put in the minor amendment approval. Hopefully we'll get it, and then we'll just crack on. <laughs> The planning department basically came and said, we don't think this is a minor amendment, we want to see a full application. So bear in mind, we'd lost 28 days by this point in time, plus a bit more, because we had to do some new plan- uh, plans and drawings anyway. So it's probably about six to eight weeks in fairness. Uh, and then the planners didn't see it as a minor amendment, they thought they'd rather see a full application. So there I am, uh, this came. This news came in on Friday, quite late in the day, I was like, oh no, what are we gonna do? I don't know what we're gonna do. Uh, the funders insisting on this, uh, the planners have basically said, no way, uh, you know, I'm going to have 13 weeks and more probably to put in a full application, which is time. There's risk, they might not approve it, there's costs associated with that, you know, so I don't know, it's just, it wasn't the best news, basically, I could have had on a Friday afternoon. But here's the thing, and I just wanted to sort of leave you this thought, really, for, for, for now. Um, I... I very often got into what I call possibility thinking. And usually what it means is, is giving my subconscious mind the problem. So, you know, I, I didn't sleep on it, in other words. <laughs> and that's what I did. I, I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, i we at my end, actually, with what to do on this particular project because we kind of feel a bit hamstrung, a bit hemmed in. Um, I didn't really know what to do. So I just thought, I'm going to sleep on it. Committed it to my subconscious mind, went to bed, Next morning, lo and behold, I'm up. I'm making a cup of coffee. Uh, it's quite early in the morning. I'm on my own in the kitchen. And I just like, put my hands in the air. And I'm like, I've got it. Change the funder. <laughs> Change the funder. The funder was the one that insisted on going, changing my two-step process, uh, development process, into a one-step. And uh, this is causing me all sorts of problems. It's delaying my projects, making it more complicated, it's making it more costly. I've now, you know, the planners have said no to the minor amendment. That's going to, you know, throw, you know, a lot more risk and time and cost in, into the into the project. And the funder, of course, you know, there may be other conditions that we don't satisfy. In any case, there's a long list of things they want to see um, before you know, they'll really actually give us the money. So, I'm like, yes, change the funder. So. I uh, thought, well, okay, fair enough, I'm going to change the funder. But I didn't actually know who I was going to change to and whether I could actually overcome the problem. Until today, and I'm recording this on Monday, so that was Friday and Saturday morning, and today is, is Monday. I had a phone call today with a private investor that has backed some of my projects in the past. I ran it through uh, by them. I said, look, this is a situation. Um, I plan to go through this two-stage process. It's a perfectly acceptable way to develop out the project. Um, what do you think? And they said, yeah, sounds good to me. Um, and actually then said, oh, I have some funds. I didn't know they did. I didn't know they had funds. They have some funds. Yeah, um, I'm waiting to do something actually funny enough with me, um, with those funds. But, you know, this, this sounds like it all works. So long story short, changed the funder, or had the problem, committed it to the subconscious mind, realised that the problem was sticking with the funder, and that's, you know, one of the, my positive traits is my integrity. I did say to this funder, I'll do this deal with them and I'm sticking to it. But actually, it's just becoming harder and harder for me to do that. So actually, what was going to be best for my business was to change the funder. That was a decision I took on Saturday. On Monday, I had a conversation with a private investor and lo and behold, he's agreed to do the deal and do it in the way that we want to do it. So uh, he, wasn't, he didn't have the funds, by the way, when I first had the problem. So perhaps I had to go through all this pain and time to get to this place. But there you go. I just wanted to share that, uh, share share that rather. And I call it possibility thinking and, you know, committing things to our subconscious mind. And it's amazing what we have lying within us. We have a lot of answers that lie within us that are ready just to be used. Uh, You know, when we're not really, we have to get out of our own way is what I'm trying to say. We can overthink things. We can get bogged down with things. We can have glass ceilings and limits and boundaries that we put on ourselves and of course we don't we don't have all the answers that you know immediately come to mind but actually um, just committing it to our subconscious mind or indeed to the, you know other people to gain uh, suggestions from other people as well is another way of achieving this this same kind of possibility thinking creative solution orientation i think it's one of the core competencies of being a successful developer because it isn't easy <laughs> as a developer in particular it isn't easy uh, you know, people think developers, you know, make loads of money and it all comes easy. If it's not, I can assure you. Anyway, so that was my own little story at the end of uh, end of the week. But so I hope, hope you know, a bit of a different one uh, this time. Um, the, the, none of this is scripted. Uh, I've just thought about the stories that I wanted to share with you today. Three from uh, the people that I wanted to share with, Naomi, Paul and Darren. And of course, um, name checking for my own mastermind group, uh, And indeed, my own story. So maybe you can relate to some of this. Hopefully some of it, you know, you can take away. I've tried to put in there some other learnings, um, some other sort of um, hot topics or um, takeaways, if you like, that that you could take out of that. That's the intention of this particular share today. Totally unscripted, as I say. Um, I do do show note transcription, and sometimes it comes out a bit hazy because it's kind of done by a Kind of a quasi robot and a human just looking at it. So if you see the errors in the show notes, that's why. So um sometimes it doesn't always come out right. And I do ramble a little bit, let's say. But there we go. I think I'd better just draw a line right now um, and close off for this week. I wanted to share that with you. I hope you got value out of it. Um the show notes are going to be over at the website thepropertyvoice.net as they always are. If you want to talk to me about anything that's you know come out from today's show or indeed anything at all. You know, you can reach me podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And just a little uh, reminder that my telephone number is on the website. So if you want to have a chat like Naomi or Darren or Paul did, for example, um, that's how you can do that. Um, don't try and reach me at the weekend. Don't try and reach me too, no, at the beginning and uh, too, uh, sorry, in the mornings or too late at night, maybe in the weekday afternoons, uh, maybe at your lunchtime, something like that would be a good time to reach me if you wanted to just have a general chat, I do deliberately carve out time to have those sort of conversations with people. And I I, I really, you know, get a lot from it. So by all means, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. But uh, all that remains for me to say is thanks once again for listening uh, to the Pops Voice podcast this week. And until next time, peace, ciao, ciao